How many of you are thankful for Jesus this morning? Amen? Amen. I tell you, I just love that our time of worship, and it's good to see you back here this Sunday uh, morning. Uh, I tell you, when we miss a week, it, I, I don't know about you, but I miss you guys. I miss seeing you, and, and uh, I miss just gathering together in, in a time of praise and worship and just lifting our voices together and just celebrating Jesus together. Uh, but I tell you, we missed last week for a good reason. Amen? We had an opportunity not just to come to church, but to be the church. Amen? And to just serve people who were fleeing the storm, to serve people who were gathered in this building for a different reason than what we're gathered here this morning. We're going to be talking about some of that here in just a little while. I just want to say thank you to so many of you who served in so many different ways. We transformed this entire building into a storm shelter, and, and it wouldn't have been possible without all the those of you who came out and just helped us in so many ways. And so uh, we're, we're going to be talking and sharing some of the stories about all that in just a moment. But before I pray here uh, this morning, I want to just uh, also just let you know that this Tuesday night at 6 p.m., our Flourish, which is our women's ministry, will be kicking off. Yeah, that's right. Be kicking off this, uh, this Tuesday at night at 6 o'clock. They've been in sort of a a gap for a while but they're kicking that back off and, and getting started again and so uh, for all you ladies out here that are looking for a place to connect and grow and to flourish in your relationship with Jesus I want to invite you to come out this Tuesday doors open at 6 and be a part of that I want to pray for us here in just a moment we, uh, we launched a series two weeks ago called Salt and Light we're going to dive into that we're going to try to catch up here uh, today uh, but I want to pray for us, and then we'll just go to God's Word and, uh, and see what it is that He wants us to teach us today. So pray with me, if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we just thank you for this time together, this time of worship where we can gather as a faith family. We can lift up our voices in song and adoration and praise and worship to you. God, because you are so worthy of praise and worship. God, you are so worthy of everything that we could bring to you to sacrifice for you. God, you are worthy of our praise, our, our worship, and, and God, that is the sole purpose that we are gathered here today is to do just that. Lord, we celebrate Jesus today. We thank you for your son who was willing to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. God, that was, that was buried in a, a borrowed tomb, but in three days was raised from the dead that he might have victory over both sin and death. And so God, we just thank you. We just... Uh, we just praise you for that truth and that reality in our life. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in this place. Lord, not just for uh, a time of lifting our voices in song and, and prayer and even through our giving, but God, to also worship you through the reading and the preaching of your word. God, we, we pray that as we open up your word today and as we, as we look at the truth and, we, and God, we study together, Lord, we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we would be changed by your presence and your power in this place. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you, God, for what you're about to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So two weeks ago, we started a series called Salt and Light. And the purpose of the series was to, to really talk about, or is of this series, is to talk about what it means to be salt of the earth and the light of the world. And two weeks ago, when we launched the series, we had no idea that just one week later, that we would, we would have an opportunity to not just talk about being salt and light, but to actually be the salt and the light to the world. 
And so uh, with Hurricane Irma coming up through Florida, we had uh, hundreds of people that made their way up here seeking shelter, fleeing their homes, uncertain about what their future was going to be. Just a week before, we had talked about what happened in Hurricane Harvey out in Houston and our desire to help them and to be a part of, uh, of the whole process out there, not knowing that we were going to be confronted with that same reality for ourselves as we begin to see people move north and come into this place. You know, uh, as we launched that series, I, I, I read several quotes by a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. And I, I want to start this message off today by revisiting one of those quotes because I believe it's so relevant for what we experienced as a church this past week. But Leonard Ravenhill, he once said this, and I think this is really Interesting. He's an English author, uh, author and, and evangelist, and he talked a lot about revival in the, in the state of the church, but he once wrote this. He says, the world out there is not waiting for a new definition of Christianity. The world is waiting for a new demonstration from Christianity. I, I love that quote. I loved it two weeks ago. I love it today, but I think it's also very relevant of what we saw last week. Just this morning before the service began, there were a few of us beginning to gather, Gabe and I, and there's a couple of others were beginning to gather in the lobby, and we were kind of getting things ready for everybody to arrive. And, and all of a sudden, a pastor from another church, I, don't even, I didn't, never met this man in my life, but he, he walked into the church, and he said, are you Pastor Dave? And I said, yes. And he handed me an envelope, and he says, today, I want to make an offering to this church for the demonstration, for the demonstration of Christ that you guys showed to our community. I, I, I just couldn't believe it. He, he gave me a check for $600. He said, the offering I was going to make in my own church, I want to make to this church because you guys demonstrated the love of Christ to people that were coming up into this, to this area seeking shelter. And, and I, I just couldn't really, yeah, you can praise Jesus for that. You can praise Jesus for that. But something he said that also just went right along with what we're going to be talking about today. When he handed me that check, he says, I just want to also say, he says, I want to say that I am so thankful that you didn't make this new building of yours an idol to be worshipped, but you opened it up to those in need. And then he went out the door as quick as he came. I'm sure he had to get to his church and do whatever he does. But, but I was standing there just going, wow, if that's not a relevant conversation for, for what we're going to be looking at here today, that's demonstrating the love of Christ to our community. And what a perfect example. Now, we, I say all of that. I got to also say this. We don't do it for our glory. Amen? We don't do it to, to bring accolades upon ourselves. We, we, we are the light of Christ for the glory of Christ. And that's why we do that. We also do it because Jesus has called us and set us apart to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Amen? So if he's called us to do that, then we are only faithful if we do that. And so I say all of this to say that through that obedience of being light into the world, God was glorified through our actions, even though last Sunday we didn't gather in this place to do what we call church. Amen? And so thank Jesus for that. Thank Jesus that we have an opportunity to, to do those kinds of things. And, and, and I tell you, I, I want to just share a couple of things that, that took place uh, last week during that time where it was storming and, and we had uh, opened up this place. 
as a shelter. You know, as a church, we stand committed. We stand committed in, in reaching those who, who we live with and work with and, and play with. We, as individuals, we not only belong to a, uh, we, don't, we don't just belong to a church, but we belong to a people. That's why we always talk about being a faith family. And so as individuals, we do that. But, uh, but as a church, we also recognize that our service to other people, it, it, it comes from really an overflow of our commitment to Jesus and our commitment to bring glory to him. And so this week, we saw a lot of incredible things taking place. We had 420, I mean, excuse me, 423, I almost said 1,000. I don't know where 1,000 came from. 420,000 people, I don't know where that, no, 423 uh, people that were, was probably our largest number on any particular day during the storm. And so it, it was an amazing time. During that time of, of meeting with these 400 or so people that we had in this building, we know of at least one man, a man named Lionel, who gave his life to Jesus Christ. Amen? And many others who I believe were very encouraged. I'll tell you another story. As we were gathering and getting ready, a group of 12 showed up at the front door and they walked in and, and, uh, and, and people were just beginning to arrive and I looked at these 12 people and they looked tired. They had been driving for about 16 hours and uh, in all that traffic and they just sort of walked up to the front door and I said, hey guys, I said, are y'all seeking shelter? And they said, yes. And I said, where are you from? They said, Brazil. And I said, that's a long way to travel for a hurricane now. I mean, are you seeking a hurricane party? I mean, what are you doing? And they said, oh, no. I mean, we're originally from Brazil, but we actually live today in Boca Raton and, and Fort Lauderdale, different places down there. But all of us as staff and many of our volunteers got to know this group. Uh, they were just an amazing group of people that, that came and gathered here and were here the, for the entire duration of us being a shelter. But when they got ready to leave, they pulled several of us aside and they began to talk about this and they said, what we want to do, we've, we've all met as a group of individuals, we've come together and what we want to do is in the next weekend or two, we want to come back to Valdosta so that we can worship with your faith family. Isn't that amazing? They said, we want to come back and worship because they said, I don't know what it is about this place, but the friendliness and the hospitality that was shown, and then this is what they said, and obviously the Spirit of God resides here. I love that, faith family. I love the fact that people can see the light of Christ when they come into this place and they just simply dwell, even if it is an emergency shelter, hurricane shelter, that they can see the love of Christ, they can see the light of Christ, among this group of people who call themselves a faith family. I just, I absolutely love that. Uh, one, of the, one of the people in that group pulled me to the side and they said, Pastor David says, uh, if we come back up there and worship with y'all, could y'all show us some homes or maybe some houses that are for rent? Because we've also been talking and we think we want to move to Valdosta, Georgia. I thought, man, that's when a city becomes a light on a hill, amen? And, uh, and so anyway... They said, we want to move there. And, and I said, really? I said, that impactful, huh? And they said, well, people are mean in South Florida. <laughs> so, but they're friendly in South Georgia. So uh, I, I tell you, just a, a lot of in, in, encouraging stories. The stories are endless. We prayed with most every single individual that was here. 
and we just had a remarkable time. And again, I just want to say thank you, Cross Point Church, for being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Uh, I think that was an opportunity for us to not only talk about being that, but to demonstrate being that, all for the glory of God. Uh, well, if, if you have your, uh, your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, talking about salt uh, of the earth and, and, and what it means to be the light of the world. Uh, in light of everything I've just said, I, I want to read a, a verse of Scripture before we go to the Matthew passage to sort of use as a springboard into what we're going to be looking at. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want you to just hang on to that thought, if you will, uh, as we process through God's word together, as we walk through the word of God together in this message. I want you to just sort of hang on to that, for we are his workmanship. Would you say that with me this morning? We are his workmanship, amen? That we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That passage speaks of our identity in him. Amen? Uh, we are no longer who we used to be in the flesh. We are no longer who we used to be in, in, uh, in our efforts. We are, we are who we are today as believers and followers of Christ Jesus. We are who we are today because of the identity that we share with Christ Jesus. And so the identity that we have in Christ Jesus. And I want us to just sort of hang on to that thought as we dive into this passage this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew 16, starting with verse 13. Now, because we missed last week, uh, I wanted to preach both last week's message and today's message. So this is a two-hour message, okay? But you're the second service, so I don't have to get you out early. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I'm going to do my best to sort of merge these two together. Uh, when we were putting the series together, they, they sort of springboard off of one off of the other anyway so I'm going to try to bring these two together so that we are caught up in the series and then next week we'll resume we're sort of on schedule with our life groups and that sort of thing and so in this week as you go through your life groups just know that you uh, will have a, a need to really kind of discuss both your life groups might be a little longer but uh, but I tell you I think it'll be good to us just sort of combine these here this morning but in our passage Jesus is going to ask one of the most important questions, one of the most important questions that we could ever ask ourselves, okay? He is speaking to his disciples. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he asked one of the, one of the most important questions that we could ever ask ourselves. Here Jesus is, is talking to his disciples, and it's so funny uh, to me as I read this, it, it's sort of like he gives them a, a final exam before he begins to teach him on some other things like worship. Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But he offers this question, and I don't know about you, but as I read this, I would almost think like Jesus is testing me. He's wanting me to answer this. And it, and it just takes on this appearance of sort of like a, a final exam. How many of you remember when you were in school having to take final exams? And I know over here at college ministry, they still have to take. How many of you hated them as much as I did? You know, I mean, I couldn't stand, in fact, I couldn't stand any exam, quiz or anything. I just, I'd rather write a paper, not take an exam. The horror that our, our, our teachers would put us through was, was just horrifying to have to take an exam. But how many of you had a, a, a teacher that would say something like this? 
Your whole grade is stemming on this final exam. You ever get that? You're like, what were the other five exams and 20 quizzes all about, you know? What was that about? I mean, if, the, if everything, well, that was 10% of your grade, your final exam is 90% of your grade. You ever get that sort of teacher? And you just, I mean, you, well, I just don't want to go there. But anyway, it, it's, it, it's, it's sort of like this. When I read this passage, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's almost like he's saying everything is riding on this question. Everything is riding on how you answer this question. It's either a pass or fail sort of question that he is presenting to his disciples. And so I, I want us to, to really grab hold of this because I believe it's one of the most important questions that we could ask of ourselves. Starting with verse 13 in Matthew 16, we read this. It says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now as I read this, I, I began to realize that Jesus is doing something really interesting. He's asking about his identity. And you may be wondering, well, why are we looking at a text that is talking about the identity of Jesus when we're talking about who we are and who our, what our identity is. And the reason for that is if our identity lies in who Christ is, if our identity comes from him, then it would only make sense that we are able to answer the question where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am, that we too, as followers or disciples of Jesus, can truly answer that question ourselves, right? It really becomes the most important question for every single one of us in this room. And so Jesus, he sort of proposes this question and he begins to talk about his identity. He, you know, what we, what we begin to realize is that the entire gospel message, the entire truth of God's word hinges on understanding the answer to this question. Now, I think it's interesting, Jesus asks first of all, he says, who do the people say that I am? And so he's, he's sort of throwing this out there. He says, who do the people say that I am? And, and, and I, I'm sure he knows the answer to that question. There's been several opportunities already where Jesus has gone into different communities and they have uh, rejected the truth of who Jesus is and many of them just look at him as just a, a nobody. And so I'm sure he probably has a good understanding, but I believe he's wanting to get the disciples to really think about the seriousness of this and also to wonder if there's any contrast between who the people say that Jesus is and maybe who the disciples themselves say that Jesus is. And so here we see where Jesus sort of begins the conversation with this question, who do the people say that I am? Now, as you and I live life, as we go about our business on a day-to-day -day basis with the people who we work with, with friends and relatives who maybe live in different places, with our neighbors and different people in our community, we're very much aware that 
a lot of people think differently about Jesus than we do. How many of you would agree with that statement there? That a lot of people, three of you. Okay, so the rest of you, the rest of you are hanging out with just solid believers. Is that what you're saying? Man, you got a tight group out there. Uh, but everywhere I go, I see and I meet other people who don't hold the same view that I hold about who Jesus is. We, we run into those people. I'm not judging those people. I'm not saying anything negative about those people. I'm just saying that's a reality in our world. A lot of times, people out in the world think differently about who Jesus is than certainly the way I would think about Jesus. Oftentimes, maybe in this room, we even think a little bit different. But the reality is that Jesus is prompting this conversation. He's getting the juices flowing, if you will, as they consider what the people say about who Jesus is. And then he turns it around and he looks at the disciples and he asks them this question, who do you say that I am? Now, I want you to think about that question for a moment because it's so important that you answer that question this morning before you leave here. Who do you say Jesus is? As we read the passage, we see in verse 15 where he says, it says to, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And then in verse 16, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on to praise Simon Peter for getting the answer right. Now, if you know anything about Simon Peter, that wasn't always the case, right? In fact, what we know with Simon Peter oftentimes is that he would put his foot in his mouth, right? I mean, here's the thing. You gotta love Peter. You gotta love this guy because he was one that, I mean, he just wanted to, he wanted to answer. He was very passionate about Jesus, but oftentimes that passion sort of got in, him in trouble, didn't it, with Jesus? Because he would be the first to speak out and he, he would just oftentimes just place that big old foot in his mouth and, and he would get it wrong but on this occasion, Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And I often wonder, I wonder if there was a pause this time. I wonder if Peter took some time to, to contemplate on it. I wonder if the others were just completely silent. Or maybe it was that he just, out of just complete knowledge and understanding of who Jesus, maybe he just blurted it right out. But, but the reality is that, G, that Peter offers to us the correct answer concerning Jesus. He says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's so much that, that Peter is revealing in that comment that he makes as he reveals the really the divine nature of Christ. He's not saying, well, Jesus, you're a carpenter. Well, I mean, what are you asking here? I mean, you know, he's, he's not just, he's going beyond who he is in his humanity. He's moving right on up there to who he is in his divine nature. He says, you're the Christ. You're the one whom we've been expecting. You're the Messiah. You're the one that has been foretold for years and years ago that was going to come and walk on this earth and, and be our Savior. He says, you are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. There's so much depth in what Peter is saying here as he is revealing the answer, and that's why Jesus probably answered him and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, he says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He's recognized, Jesus is saying, you would only know this if you had been transformed by the power and the presence of a holy God living within you. This isn't something that would just come naturally to this man. 
It was a, something that was a, a transformed heart. It was a, it was a heart issue that had been conformed and formed into the very image of Christ. It was in the process of, uh, Peter was in this process of coming to know exactly who Jesus is. And so he answers this question, this very important question. He goes on to say in verse 18, he says, I will tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a powerful, powerful text. What a powerful story. What a powerful question, amen? And I hope that every one of us in this room, I, I pray, I pray that every one of us in this room are seriously contemplating whether or not we know Jesus because it's that important. I pray that every one of us in here today have walked in here not just simply knowing about the historical Jesus, but we know the Savior Jesus as well, that we know him. There's a Greek word that is often seen throughout scriptures. It's gnosko. And gnosko is, is this word that it literally means to know Jesus intimately or to know the Lord God intimately. It goes beyond just knowing or having an awareness of him. It's about personally knowing him. Gnosko. And so Jesus here is acknowledging that Simon Peter is getting it right. I love what John 1, verse 12 says. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To become children of God that did know him. It's so important that we understand who Jesus is before we leave here. You know, for almost three years, Jesus has been spending his entire time with his disciples. For almost three years, Jesus has been teaching them and molding them and shaping them and equipping them for the task that they're going to have to do when he, when he leaves this earth, when he ascends into heaven. So he's been teaching them that he is the Son of God. He's been teaching them that he is more than just simply a man. He's been teaching them that, that he is the Savior for their sins. He's been teaching them all the truths concerning all that they would need to know to take the gospel message of Christ to a lost and dying world. He's been shaping them and molding them. And now, on this dusty road, on the outskirts of town, we see where Jesus pauses for just a moment as he is, is getting to this place of, uh, of moving into the city, and he stops and he pauses on the edge of town, and he says, who do you say I am? It's almost as if Jesus says, before we go any further, before we move forward one more step, before we take care of any more business that needs to be taken care of, you need to answer that question. Everything lays in front of them with that question. This question is the question that is the beginning of the rest of their life. Who do you say that I am? And so Jesus asked his, asked his disciples this question. And so we must ask the same question. Who is Jesus? Now, as you begin to answer that, I want us to look into our text again because in verse 15, he says this. He says, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replies, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of these gospels record this conversation with his disciples. All three of them record basically the exact same conversation where, where Jesus confronts them with this question. But all three of these gospels also show something else that I think is very interesting. All three gospels record that this conversation happens just, just before Jesus would separate himself and go off to a place, to a mountain, it would say, to pray and worship. As we read through these gospel presentations of truth, we begin to see that Jesus separates himself from the crowd and he goes to a mountain to pray and to worship. And then we see, as we read through the scriptures there, we see what has come, been come to know as, as the transfiguration of Christ Jesus. Now that's very important because this week we were wanting to talk about worship, although last week we were going to be talking about identity. And I think this leads us perfectly into taking a look at worship. And that's what I want us to do now. I want us to sort of move into this, this understanding of, of what worship is and understand that our identity is our worship to God. Because you see, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that we can't possibly worship God if we're not in Christ. We can worship other things. We can worship worldly things. We can worship even with great intentions who we perceive to be God, but we can't worship the true God. We can't worship in true worship, being that we're in spirit and in truth. And so I want us to sort of move into that, and I want you to, uh, to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4. This will be our, our second text of the, of the message here today, John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 26. 19 through 26. This is also very interesting to me. What we're, going to be, what we're going to begin to see here is that although this is a different scenario, a different, a different story, one that doesn't really involve the disciples, but the woman at the well, we see the same question basically proposed to her. And this time we see where Jesus takes this conversation to a place of worship. And so hang on to everything we've talked about as we talk about our identity in Christ Jesus. Hang on to that and grab hold of that and bring that along as we now transition into having conversation about worship. Because what we're talking about here today, what we're really talking about here today is our identity as worshipers. Our identity as worshipers. So let me set this passage up for us here this morning passage is a very familiar passage is Jesus' encounter with the, the woman at the well. Most of us have heard of it. But what happens is Jesus comes into Samaria. He, he enters into a place that is, is really not too keen on Jewish people. And he, being Jewish, he, he walks into this area and he, he sets up, he, he kind of stops at the community well. He just begins to hang out there. And the scriptures tell us that the disciples, they went into town looking for food. And so they go into town, they're looking for food, and they leave Jesus alone at the well. When suddenly a Samaritan woman, she shows up at the well to draw water from the well, and the scriptures tell us that Jesus asked her for a drink of water. Now this was very unusual, and she is perplexed by 
Jesus asking her for a drink of water. There are several barriers that would keep Jesus normally from asking her for a drink of water. One of those barriers was the fact that he was a male, she was a female, and it obviously was socially awkward for male and female to have this sort of intimate conversation at the well. And so Jesus is suddenly asking this lady. He doesn't know her. She's of, of a different culture than him. And he's asking her for a drink of water. And she's, she's really kind of put off by that. But also the fact that he's Jewish and she's Samaritan, that's another big barrier between these two. But Jesus asked her for a drink of water. And then as they start the conversation, Jesus begins to point out some sin in this woman's life. And it becomes very aware to her that Jesus knows her, that Jesus knows about her, that, that there is something different about this guy than anybody else she's ever met before as an outsider. And so Jesus has come in, he sort of exposed her sin, and then this is what she says to Jesus in this text. John chapter 4, verse 19 through 26. The scriptures tell us that this woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I think that's interesting that she perceived uh, Jesus as a prophet. It's interesting because when, when she started, when they started out the conversation, he was just simply a Jew to her. And then as they continued to talk, she respected him a little more and she began to call him Sir. And now she's got to a place, now that he sort of pointed out some, some things about her life that the common person wouldn't know, she's now perceiving him as a prophet and so she says to jesus sir uh, i perceive that you are a prophet you see how his stature or his status is sort of rising in her mind she's having a little more respect for this for this jesus guy and then she says this in verse 20 our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now that's that's very important that we we see this. I want you to I want you to underline this if you're taking notes, write this down, but she says our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a the place where people ought to worship. And the Jesus he corrects her almost immediately. He corrects her by saying it doesn't have anything to do with place. When he says this, he says Jesus says to her Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now that sounds pretty harsh, but he's trying to make a point with this, this, this woman. He's trying to make a point, something that she can understand, that, that her worship has been really in vain. And this is what he says. He says, you worship, verse 22, you worship, what you do not know powerful powerful what you worship what you do not know we worship what we know for salvation is from the jews but look at this verse 23 but the hour is coming and now is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must be I mean, must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am him. Here's what this lady is saying to Jesus. He's saying, listen, I know about the Christ. I know that 
that he is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one. I know that one day he will come. I know Jesus. They're talking about worshiping Jesus. And she says, I know about Jesus. And what Jesus is saying to her that is so vital for us to understand here this morning is that Jesus is saying, it's not about whether you know about Jesus. The question is, do you know Jesus? It's never been about, do you know historically about Jesus? Do you know the prophecies that were spoke about Jesus? It's, It's a matter of, do you know Jesus? And he's challenging her way of thinking. She has perceived for so long that she has been worshiping. She's been perceiving for so long that she is a, a true worshiper. Even pointing to the Christ and the Messiah, but not knowing him. And Jesus says, you will not be able to worship unless you know him. And so suddenly, identity in Christ our identity in Christ comes completely together. It merges with, if you will, our worship to God, our worship to Christ. And so we see this being this, this, this thing unfolding. And, and, and in the time that we have left, just a few more minutes, I want to I wanna offer to you just a few insights, some things that he, he was teaching this woman at the well that I believe are hugely important to us as well. The first one is this. She worshiped what she did not know. This is a reality in in her world. It's a reality in our world today. There are people all over this world who worship what they perceive to be the true God. They worship all over this world who they perceive to be God. And their worship is in vain because they know not God. And so here we see that Jesus is bringing this truth before her, the reality is she worshiped what she did not know. But here's even a more sad reality to me that oftentimes, even in the Christian churches and schools, people worship what they think they know and they often never do know. If that reality can be true for her, it can be true for anyone else. Even sitting in a church in Valdosta, Georgia on a Sunday morning, if they do not know Jesus. You cannot worship the true God if you do not know Jesus. Jesus often taught this. I was reading an article just yesterday that was written in response to the the bombings that took place this weekend in London. Yet another uh, bombing that took place where Islamic terrorists took the credit for this particular bombing. And I started reading the article, and I thought, well, this is just another article talking about, you know, uh, Islamic extremists and, and whatnot. And, and the article was, was titled in such a way that it was, it was basically saying that Islam is taking over England, it's taking over Britain. And so I started reading the article to kind of see what it had to say. And as I read further along in the article, it began to talk about how Islam in, in England was even taking over the Christian churches. Now that's got my attention. And I, I began to read through it. And the, the lady who was writing the article, she, she actually has a, a friend who lives in England who was burned in this latest bombing. And so as she called to check on her, she she was sort of talking to her about what had happened, and, and, and the friend revealed some things about this particular bombing that was really intriguing to her. 
And I want to read you just a passage, just a, a blurb from this article because I, I think that it reveals the sobering reality of what is even happening in so-called Christian churches around the world. She writes, she says, an English friend told me recently that her daughter's Church of England school was teaching what they call religious education to the children and spending an inordinate amount of time positively favoring Islam over other religions. Now, this is, a, this is a Christian school now, a Christian school. You would think they would be teaching about Jesus, but it says, children of all faiths are now taught to pray to Allah with their prayer mats. The Quran is the only open book on a stand in the back of the classrooms. And at a school assembly, when the prophet Muhammad was mentioned, 200 children chanted in unison, peace be upon him. That's a sobering reality of a church in London that is a so-called Christian church and school where they know not what they worship. Because we know and we believe that Christ is the only way to the Father. Amen? He's the only way to the Father. And so here we have the same situation as Jesus is preaching, as he is preaching to this woman, as he is revealing truth to this woman. He's saying, listen, you say you worship, but are you worshiping the true God? Are you worshiping the true God? Or are you worshiping something else that you perceive to be true? And then she says, well, I know that the Christ is coming. I know that the Messiah is coming but in her saying that, she's revealing that she knows not the Christ. And Jesus says to her, the one you are speaking to, I am he. You know what's a beautiful part of that whole story? Is that the woman at the well, she ultimately believes the truth of who Jesus is. She, in other words, she, she responds favorably to the message of the gospel. She, she embraces Christ as not just merely a, a man or a Jew or, or a prophet or a rabbi, but she embraces him as Lord and Savior of your life. In fact, the rest of the story shows that she runs into the community in which she lived, and she began to tell the crowds, you must come and meet the Christ. And so here this woman gives her life surrenders her life to Jesus so that she can be a true worshiper of God. In verse 25, it says, The woman said to him, I know he is coming who is called the Christ. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am him. If we don't know Jesus, then our identity is not in him and our worship is not directed to him. True worship in Christ is Christ-centered, period period we have the ability to worship things we have the ability to worship false gods but if we want to be a true worshiper then we must turn to Jesus and we must know him even Jesus said in John 14 6 he says I am the way and the truth and the life and listen to this don't leave this part off and only through me can you know the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, Jesus says, unless you come through me.
Jesus is why we gather. Jesus is who we worship this morning. We are believers in Christ Jesus, gathering together in unity because of Jesus. Amen. In closing, let me ask you this question. Because I think if Jesus was here today, he would probably ask us all this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? I believe it's probably the most important question that you could ask yourself today. In just a moment, we're going to close out with a word of prayer, and then we're going to have a time of response. And my prayer for you this morning is that as you contemplate this question, and, and please understand me, I'm not saying who is Jesus to you. I'm saying who is Jesus according to the word of God, this Jesus. Who is Jesus? I believe our greatest act of worship this morning can only take place when we come to a place of knowing Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, of the living God. So in this time of response, as soon as I pray, maybe your greatest act of worship this morning is to just give praise and honor and glory to a holy and righteous God who has saved you from your sins who you know intimately, who you have a relationship with. Maybe your greatest act of worship is to just raise your voice in prayer and adoration and thanksgiving, thanking God for the work that he has done in your heart. Maybe that's your greatest act of worship. Maybe this morning your greatest act of worship is turning to your friend or your neighbor or the one sitting beside you or or maybe coming down and speaking to one of our pastors or ministers of the gospel and saying, I need more of this. I need to understand more clearly what the scriptures teach about who Jesus is because I want to know him. Maybe this is your greatest act of worship this morning. Maybe this is the way that you should respond to the gospel message of Christ. As we had conversation in this building as a storm shelter, that's the conversation that Lionel had when he when he heard the gospel, not for the first time, not even for the second. But he finally came to a place where he clearly understood who Jesus is. I am convinced that today if Lionel was asked, who is Jesus, Lionel, he would say he is the Christ. He is the living God, the son of the living God. He's the one who died for my sins, was buried in a tomb, and had victory over sin and death when he rose from the grave. Is that the Jesus that you know? In just a few moments, I'll pray. And you respond, however God's calling you to respond. Maybe today, your greatest act of worship is just simply stand and sing the songs with all of your heart that we sing. The last song, the final song. Just sing and offer your praise and worship through song. Maybe that's your greatest act of worship. But let us, every one of us, respond in some way to this question that must be answered.